0: those frogs coming through on the
1: tape (laughs) uh i don't know i can't hear them on i can't hear myself now so maybe we got the frogs wilding out in the background right now okay so uh this is part two of our uh discussion kind of diving deeper into the making of yesterday was everything um tonight we're joined by brandon best who uh was one of the the subjects of the film um and also served as executive producer um through the long post-production um process of the film um also was the promoter for the edmonton screening of the film that took place last week um thanks for staying up late my man
0: my pleasure thanks for uh, having me for this
1: yeah um what do you remember from the first days? Like, you got there a little bit before me. Um, do you, re- regarding the film and the filming of everything, uh, what's what's your recollection of kind of how how it all started?
0: It, it's, it honestly kind of started pretty casual. I mean, like, you were just kind of hanging back, filming things here and there. It didn't really ever seem to be that serious of a thing until probably around milwaukee when you sat me down for my interview but up until that point you know it was just kind of you like a buddy hanging around with the camera you know
1: yeah but i mean weren't you sensing that tension in the air when we first got there or when i first got there at least
0: oh yeah there's definitely a, a tension in the air i mean this was the first time jesse was you know with these guys in quite a few years for any you know considerable length of time and the first time that he was actually working with them on anything. So yeah, from that standpoint there was definitely a bit of tension in the air.
1: Yeah, I mean even that I think it was the first day I was there, um, when we were I I filmed Ryan and Stu doing a press interview with the dude from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And when it was over, um you you kinda start asking Ryan about um like are you gonna are are you gonna be worried when about when Jesse reads this interview, you know, and, and Ryan's kind of like, no, not really. I mean, um, that was kind of shit was popping off, like basically from that point on. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and that honestly, um, it's one of the first scenes of the film and I think it kind of does really set the pace to unfold, you know, a, a bit of that struggle between those two guys throughout the film and, that that was uh in my opinion too one of those classic moments in documentary filmmaking where i obviously wasn't mic'd; it was just something that happened on the fly and like i i didn't really know what uh was going to come of this film i didn't know what the plans really were for it so it's not like i was like trying to set up some sort of scene for the film i was legit uh intrigued curious like wanting to know what the hell the deal was because they never said anywhere, and that's one of the other things about that scene you know, where Ryan's like, Yeah, no, I'm not really concerned. N- never was it said that Jesse was kicked out of the band. Like, if, if you go back on any of that stuff, it basically says the band parted ways, uh, you know, he's, Jesse's going back to school. Like, that's what everyone really knew of the split, unless, unless you were on the inside and you knew the real story.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even think I realized that. Um, I mean, obviously I was there for that. I remember when it happened, I remember meeting Carl for the first time, but I didn't know that 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 was sort of like the the front facing thing that they went with.
0: Yeah, exactly. And unless you were, you know, part of the inner circle with that band, you didn't really know what happened. You just kind of thought, oh, okay, the, the band ran its course with Jesse. They're trying someone else now. Right. So, so that, really sets up part of the, the struggle in that documentary uh, between Ryan and Jesse, you know, like what, what exactly is the deal here with this breakup? Because it never really was announced to the public and here they are doing this reunion tour. So obviously it's going to come up.
1: Yeah. Um, man, I think that's, that's so, so crazy. I mean, I, I I always kind of forgot about that part, like as we were doing this thing and it's funny because, um, I've showed this to a lot of friends over the last year or so, um, partially when we were in the feedback stage and I was kind of trying to gauge everybody's reactions to it to see if things were landing correctly. But also, like, since the movie's been finished and I've just been sending it out to people who asked me if they could see it. And so many people have been like, yo, I seriously had no idea why they changed singers until until now. Like, it was always just this big mystery. I mean, I guess it's not like, you know, it's not... Uh, anyone's business necessarily but I suppose when you're following a band and they have a gigantic lineup change like that it might leave you puzzled if you're a fan you know
0: yeah and I'm I mean we've we're obviously really big lovers of music you know and we we follow the pages like lamb goat and whatever whatever else over the years when a band breaks up you usually get the lowdown most bands aren't really afraid to to say you know what happened and why why a band member is splitting ways like usually it's not that secret of a thing and i'm not overly sure why they decided to keep it this way like it it could have been a pride thing with jesse I, i wasn't really in on any of those conversations to know like maybe he requested that they don't really publicly say what the deal was i don't know but yeah it was one of those weird things where just no one really knew what exactly happened
1: did kids know in edmonton
0: Again, I don't really think so. Unless you were a close friend of Jesse, and no one was really talking about it. Like I, uh, as you see in in the film, I mentioned being there when it went down. I certainly wasn't going around telling anyone because I, you know, got the sense from, you know, the the online news stories where they weren't really saying what happened that I shouldn't really be, you know, spreading what actually happened. So, yeah, I don't think anyone really knew unless you were a close personal friend of the band.
1: Wow. That's, that's so, so nuts, man. I, I completely forgot about that.
0: Well, and I, I think maybe even the way that that was handled sort of fed into, you know, the, the relationship of the guys moving forward, you know, it's like when you break up with someone and you don't really know why, and you don't really ever really get that closure. I think there's maybe part of that too, which was, you know, part of what led to that tension when they got back together.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so what was it like for you to sort of be the subject of a documentary like this?
0: It was, uh, pretty weird to be honest. I, I didn't really expect to, um, play as big of a role in it as I did. Um, I mean, obviously it's a documentary about the band. I, I was there back from the days of compromise and through a lot of that time with misery singles too, but, Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I've kind of always just considered myself a a background player. Obviously, you know, like I'm just you know doing merch and doing lights, so I wouldn't really um, expect to have been such a a vocal point of the documentary.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ryan and I were talking about the balance earlier today of how, and you and I talked about this last week too. Just sort of how lucky we got that everybody that was with us on the tour kind of had a role to play, and and your role was fucking crucial, man. Because like both sides of that rift were obviously biased, you know, and obviously had their side of it. And everyone's trying to be magnanimous and be older and wiser and sort of tell it from, from what they perceived to be the other side as well. But you were the one um, sort of uh, neutral party in that whole thing. And I, de- I definitely leaned on you hard to explain that story. I mean, I didn't really get it well from anybody else. And, and you end up, sort of being the person who narrates that entire sequence.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it, it was pretty wild at the time to be that guy that was kind of torn between them. Cause you know, I, I didn't really have any, any beef with Jesse. I mean, I, I could see where the guys were coming from with the issues with them. And, um, you know, in, in retrospect, he was even a little hard, um, on me at times too. Uh, you know, like there's, there's certain things where, you know, if uh, if a sound guy was throwing a bunch of echo on his mic, then he would he would get mad at me because I wasn't going to tell the sound guy to shut the echo off. But, you know, I'm I'm on stage just trying to make sure that his mic cord isn't getting tangled up, and he's yelling at me to go deal with the sound guy over top of the music, and I have no idea what he's saying. So there would be little things like that. So, you know, obviously I, I didn't feel as much of the uh, struggle with him as the other guys did, but I could see... Um, where they were coming from, and at the same time, even though I felt a little bit of that, when he was when they were going through that uh, the motions of kicking him out, I didn't feel any sort of ill will towards him. Like I mentioned in the documentary, I was after I said goodbye at the airport, I literally huddled under my blanket and like just started crying. Like I remember it like yesterday. It, it was a really crazy, awkward time to be torn in the middle of my friends like that.
1: Yeah. You also have another really important role in, in the film, uh, um, being, you know, Daniel's best friend, um, <clears throat> and being one of the, the few guys on the tour that, that knew both Jordan and Daniel, um, which is something that, you know, Brandon, Ryan and, and, uh, not Stu, excuse me. Um, Kyle can't really claim to, um, cause I mean, well, Brandon wasn't even there, but Ryan and Kyle kind of barely knew the guys. Um,
0: yeah, like they—they they obviously uh, met them on that compromise tour, so they were just starting to get to know them a bit. But I mean, like the the couple years leading up to them going on that tour with Seven Angels, they, Jordan and Dan have become two of my best friends. You know, we spent quite a bit of time together. So, yeah, I don't know. It was a, a devastating thing when it happened. Yeah. When, you, when you're when you mentioning how I became such a part of the story, w- one thing I did find interesting, well, like, obviously, like I've mentioned, I'm flattered that I became such a part of the story because I didn't expect it. I thought it would be, you know, a story on those five guys. But I, I feel like at times I'm maybe even in it more than a couple of those guys, it seems. And, um, you know, o- outside of the six of us, there's um, brief interviews with Braden and uh, junior from compromise and um jesse's mom but i i know that you did a lot of other interviews on the road as well just with a lot of key players from back in the day you know friends of the band guys they'd maybe toured with and i'm wondering at what point you decided to not go with any of those like when did you think that the story would you know be better served to just be the the six or so of us
1: yeah, you know, uh, that's a good question. Uh, those were all really early cuts. I think we would have had, well, okay, there was um, there were two guys sort of traveling with the tour. One of them had, had flown over from Australia. One of them was from Brazil. And um, I interviewed them a couple times. Like, they, they kind of pop in and out of the footage. Um, I think I knew pretty early on I wasn't going to use either of those guys because they were just sort of, I mean, they were cool to sort of, like, show how much this reunion meant to people but I, I i ultimately i didn't need them and then we had um shanks who was a uh, kind of your replacement at some point or like a longtime merch guy for the band after after you'd been gone and, and i think he might have been half in the bag when i interviewed him but he didn't have much much extra to offer just besides like yeah you know had some great times with these dudes um but then yeah jeff and greg uh you know uh, former and current guitar player for the band at the time, um, Jeff had some really great stuff. But early, early on in the band, but kind of, you know, you know what it really was was it was like it was a lack of balance between impactful, uh, like narrative moments between those guys and the people that were included. You know, like fuck, like I lucked out so hard. Catching Brayden in Toronto, like I can't imagine what the film would have been like if I had if he hadn't been in Toronto that day, um, and I just happened to interview him in this really noisy street, like next to the fucking venue, which we basically had to hire a sound guy just for his interview because it sounded so shitty. Uh, shout out, <laughs> shout out to John Tidy. Um, but, but yeah, it was basically just that like everybody had something super heavy and super impactful to offer to the narrative and kinda everybody else that got cut, they just sort of had um, you know, other stuff that just didn't land as hard. Um and it it sucked, you know. I mean I had to text Greg one day and be like, Sorry man, you're just straight up not in this thing. And I had to text I mean, I don't think Jeff gave a fuck. Um I really regret that Carl couldn't be in it. Um I don't think Shanks or, or Ian or or Leandro or any of those dudes really give a shit. Um, and I can't even think if there's anybody else. There might've been like, the, if there was, those were like some of the earliest cuts cause I don't even really recall like going through the footage. I mean like anything that made it in the film, I've seen 500 times. Um, so if I can't remember it, that means I probably cut it like back in like winter 2015 or something like that, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean a, a lot of that stuff was cut before I even saw any footage myself.
1: Yeah, right. I don't think you ever saw a cut with Jeff or Greg in it. I, I'm not even sure. there was, I think there was a cut with Jeff in it. I'm not sure Greg ever made it.
0: Now, you, you briefly mentioned Carl there, and I know that's kind of going to be a question a lot of the fans have. is um, How ultimately did you decide not to include him, or did you try to reach out to him and it didn't pan out? Like, what What's the story there with Carl and this film?
1: Yeah, I guess I should say, um, well, Ryan and I talked about this before I said, you know, one of my big regrets with shooting is that the night that we saw Carl, I didn't pull the camera out and make an effort to even talk to him for 10, 15 minutes. It was just one of those crazy nights where we had been driving the entire fucking day, like, you know, 11 AM to fucking like midnight or something. Uh, and we just wandered into that house like zombies, like pizza bed. Like I, I said, hi to him for like, you know, five minutes or something. And, um, I don't, I just probably didn't have it in me to, to, to go there that night. But I really wish I had because it was um, the only time we had the opportunity to see him and the only time the other guys interacted with him on that tour. Um, I don't think we didn't even play that. No, we didn't even play Regina, so it's not like he came to any shows or anything like that. We just happened to see him at our friend's house. Um, yeah, so after the fact... His was the number one interview I wanted. I had this thing uh, throughout 2015 where I was like, yo, I'm going to, uh, I lived in Milwaukee at the time, I live in Portland, Oregon now, I was going to fly to Boise, Idaho, interview Ryan again, drive to Vancouver, British Columbia, interview Stu again, and then drive to Edmonton and interview like 10 people. And it was going to be like, um, just a bunch of people that I had already interviewed in the film, but then some more kind of players in and around the Edmonton scene and, and some of the relatives of the compromise guys. And, um, and then I was going to go up to Regina and catch Carl. Um, and more than anything, man, it just wasn't in the budget. Like this, this film was produced, uh, on almost no budget, basically nothing. Um, I got my, my travel paid for, that was about it. But there was no, you know, any money at that point was coming out of my pocket and I was editing it all just kind of myself whenever I had time. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I think the story was kind of strong enough where, um, uh, it just started working out and I was like, I don't think I need this trip. And, and Carl kind of ended up being a casualty of that. Um, I don't it, know. It's-
0: if you, if you would have gotten the chance to interview Carl, what were kind of the key questions you were planning to ask him? Like, what did you hope to get from an interview with him to better serve the film?
1: You know, I, and that's the thing, too. I think there's probably a strong chance that I would have interviewed him and it would have not served the film. Um, I think more than anything, he deserves a chance to kind of defend himself because he, he gets – kind of shit on a little bit by Ryan towards the end of the film. Now I don't want to say shit on just, you know, Ryan's just kind of honest about how he feels about, excuse me. Ryan's just kind of honest about how he feels about where they're at with, uh, their relationship with Carl at that moment in time. And, and granted, I should say in defense of Carl, Ryan. Ryan five minutes later says this band might not even ever play shows again. Like that was in Dallas Christmas, 2014. And, um, he was like, "We're in a weird place where we literally might break up tomorrow." Um, yeah. So that's that's like that's kind of where things were at. I think uh, it, it seems a little harsh in the film, but it was just sort of like one of those things. And by the way, Ryan kind of said something similar today. He was just like, "I never have any idea like where we're at, what the lineup is, and it really doesn't matter. Um, we'll play music when we can, and you know, don't worry about it." Um, so yeah, it would it would have been cool to um you know it would have been cool to get his perspective from as a fan too you know he was a fan of the malice era too i Mm -hmm. mean that's that's why he tried out for the band initially um and i'm sure he had some interactions with jesse at different points i mean i know that they that jesse would sometimes come up and play summer when they were in edmonton or or whatever so it would have been cool to to get um all that stuff from his perspective and and i definitely would have fit him in um Yeah, I just regret that we weren't able to catch him. You know, like, at the end of the day, I did one follow-up interview with Brandon, just because he and I never had time, and I knew that I lived with him and I could get the interview. And then I had to get one interview with Stu last year. But otherwise, everything in the movie takes place within the context of that tour. It was shot between Vancouver and Toronto, and nothing happens outside of that. And... That's kind of cool. And, and I'm, I'm kind of proud of that in a way because you can get sucked into infinity. I mean, I could you could shoot fucking forever. Like, um, I, I don't know what point, you know, you, you would know to definitely stop because it never really felt like I had the story all there. Um, there's a lot of things I would have liked to tighten up about the narrative. But um, I think it's cool that I was, I was kind of confined by the boundaries of the tour in a way. And like I said, I just sort of wish we, we had gotten Carl in, in those boundaries.
0: Well, I I think maybe because like you like you mentioned here, the the film plays so much of a part on that tour, but at the same time, it's kind of always dipping back into the time before Misery Signals with Compromise. So, personally, I think the fact that it, it you only relied on the interviews of us kind of makes made sense. Like it made the film flow a lot better. I don't know if it really would have worked to have interviews with any of those other guys that weren't necessarily around for both of those time periods.
1: Yeah. Right. And, and it kind of, I mean, in my head, at least it kind of makes sense, you know, we're hanging out with Carol and then Carol does an interview, you know, and then we're hanging out with junior and then we talk to junior as a talking head, you know, nobody pops up that it, that wasn't there organically, you know? Mm-hmm. What was there any
0: interviews with the people that are in the film that you cut, that you, wish you could have uh, squeezed in like maybe just something really poignant someone s- said, but there just wasn't really room for it.
1: Yeah, there were some subplots. I mean, Ryan and I talked about, uh, you know, the uh, the whole idea that Stu and Kyle also quit the band and were also sort of rejoining the band. Kyle had already rejoined. Stu was sort of in the process of rejoining. Um, that was just one that just kind of didn't fit because it almost overshadowed the the bigger rift, which was jesse and and everyone else um then there was a the whole thing man Stu, actually Stu had a lot of stuff that didn't that didn't make it in uh he had a lot of cutting room floor stuff like uh Stu had an interesting kind of bit about um stage anxiety and sort of like a um almost like a fainting episode that he had had when he was playing with comeback Kid and sort of like. Getting over that in the process of the of the Malice X tour, um, and then Stu had gotten married, you know, days before the tour started, and we talked about that, and that didn't get mentioned in the film, unfortunately. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah, Ryan Ryan had some interesting sort of like stressing about home and stressing about family kind of shit. Um, a little bit of it makes its way into like the last fifteen minutes or so of the film, where he's just sort of talking about like um, I, you know, I tried to make it make sense within the narrative, just because he's sort of like. Uh, we've we've done all this before, and it's sort of a moment of uncertainty for the future of the band. He's just really saying like, "Yeah, I'm playing a fucking show in Minneapolis. Like, who who gives a shit? You know? Like, I've done this a thousand times. Um, yeah. There was a lot more of that stuff. Um,
0: Speaking of um, Stu getting married right before the tour, there there is the one uh, line towards the end where he does make reference to his marriage, and it's honestly from my perspective as a guy that was back, was around back in the compromise days and then through all this mystery stuff, that was one of the heaviest lines of the film where, you know, he's mentioning, he doesn't know if he would have the life he has right now, if it wasn't for the accident. And that's just such a a heavy concept.
1: Totally. I mean, he's, he's sitting there and it was one of those moments in the interview too, where like, I think he was kind of like, processing that as he was telling me because it just comes across so um it's such a, an authentic real moment and uh i'm so happy he went there too um yeah he's like i wouldn't have met my wife it's fucking it's crazy
0: yeah and the, there, there's a, f- a few moments like that in the film where you just truly capture some magic like uh, obviously that that there was um, an interview. It definitely wasn't staged. It was just something that came to his mind. But I mean, there's, there's a few moments um, throughout the film where you can see that none of us are really miked, but you just happen to have the camera rolling and you just catch some gold. And to me, that's just some of that uh, movie magic and documentary filmmaking. You kind of just have to always have the camera rolling just because you never know what you're going to catch.
1: Totally. Oh, you know what? There was a scene that was pretty cool in Dallas it was kind of like, it was the one time where we sort of manufactured something for the film. Like, um, so, okay, so L.A. and Dallas were tour dates that took place after the Malice X tour. They they had such a successful run on the tour that they went back out and played a show in L.A., right? And then a show in Dallas, and that was it? Yep. Oh, that's fucking crazy. And those those happened right before Christmas, but I just edited it all together as one thing. So, like, that's why Jesse, like, has a beard and his hair is different and shit. Um, only because, like, it, it was this really cool thing of, like, all these different cities kind of had their own story. Like, um, Milwaukee was where, you know, he thinks he's going to leave the band. And then Dallas is where he plays his last show. And Edmonton is obviously the birthplace of compromise and where, um, you know, your friends are buried and um, New York and, and Toronto. Um, you know, every every kind of place had its own little moment in the narrative and it really worked well to, to include Dallas in there, even though that took place months later. But um, yeah, before we left and flew home, no, I think this is before they even played in Dallas. Um, everybody just kind of was all together in the dressing room, and they just kind of talked through shit for the first time ever. And this is, like, after the, after the tour. This is, like, after we've had, like, months of, like, thinking back on how successful the tour was and how they were all getting along again and everything. Um, yeah, and it just wasn't very explosive. It just wasn't very dramatic. It was just very, like, it was very much, like, a bunch of dudes being, like, yeah. You know, like we were acting dumb, like we were, there were some misunderstandings. Oh, well, like, and everyone being like, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And like, I tried to like cut that so many different ways to make it seem dramatic, but it was just very, it was just a very chill convo between like old dudes that had chilled out, you know? So unfortunately I I didn't find a way your, your, to work. Your mic's it
0: in. Cu- your, your mic just cut out for all of that.
1: Oh, um, it's good on my end. Can you hear me?
0: It's out right now. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, I got you
1: now. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, were you, did you have another point? I, for, I forget where we left off.
0: Um, I couldn't hear anything you just said, so I don't know what you were saying.
1: <laughs> I was talking about that Dallas moment and how it just sort of like was lackluster, and that's why I didn't get included in the film. Uh, I don't think you were even up there for that. I think you were downstairs.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't see that at all. I, I was there when we like discovered that that was the the venue for the, Jesse's last show, but I didn't. I wasn't around for any of the other conversation.
1: Yeah, I think you were the ones who discovered it first. Which, by the way, that is just so fucking wild that that turned out that way, and nobody knew.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, and I, I hate to use the cliche phrase, but the, there was a lot of movie making magic that just kind of happened during this thing.
1: No, it was total luck. It was luck on so many different levels. Like, I don't think there would be a movie unless a bunch of lucky things happened. Really. Yeah,
0: you're, you're cutting in and out again.
1: Fucking Christ. Okay, we're back.
0: All right, so um, you you'd kind of mentioned in some other interviews that you didn't really know what this film was going to be off the jump. Like it wasn't until you got to maybe Edmonton that you really realized that you had more of a, a story here to make it kind of more of a legit film rather than a just, just like a tour, a tour spot just with, you know, a few live things and some goofing off in between. So the, that idea aside, what do you think you would change maybe from a technical standpoint now that the film's in the can? What do you think you would have done differently
1: Okay, uh good question. I mean, this this is kind of just me being like, here's how the film you just watched could have been way better. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but whatever. Um Yeah, man, I just would have I would have I would have attacked like I mean, I can remember like from Edmonton on is like f- 5 days maybe. Like we went Edmonton, St. Paul, Milwaukee, um fucking New York City, Toronto, right? Yep. With one day off maybe in there. So that's like from, from the moment I knew we had like a, a legit doc, it was like crunch time. And I, I don't even know how much shit I managed to capture and, and stuff into those last four days. But those last four days were like nonstop, man. Like I was just like, you know, because, okay, we'd get to the show. Um, there's There's stuff happening at all times. You know, there's drama taking – I don't want to say drama, but there's like, you know, just like there's – Six dudes to follow around. Somebody's doing or talking about something interesting at all times. We get to a show. I would have this team of volunteers. Which, by the way, shout out to everybody who helped me film the shows. I barely use any of their footage because it just kind of didn't work out that well. But um, so I would have to like have a like production meeting with like five kids that volunteered to shoot the show with me. Um, I'd have to like tell everybody where to sit and where to go, and make sure everybody could get in on the guest list. film film sound check and then like in between like when when the dudes would have downtime which is almost like it it seems like there's a lot of it but there's kind of not a ton like it's like whatever we get there late they gotta unload they gotta sound check then there's like a, a couple hours maybe then there's then like one of the support bands starts playing so like there's no empty space to go there's no quiet space to run and like pop off an interview without it being fucking loud so like it's probably just like this tiny window before the show and maybe after the show if, if somebody has enough energy so um we crammed so much into those last four days from the point where i was just like fuck look, like, i think i could maybe make a, a feature-length doc uh, out of this or at least like a really good short um so dude from the jump it would have been like I would have gotten there like days early and just been doing interviews like all fucking day, every day during the rehearsal days. And then like nonstop, I would have rode with Jesse and Carly in his car. I would have like spent the day with them. Um, I would have shot, I would have just been shooting the entire fucking time because like at the end of the day, I might've had like, I don't know, 30 or 40 hours of video, not including the live sets to work with. And I would have loved to have like 100, you know?
0: So basically, you would have just shot more footage,
1: yeah, long story short, that's what I would have done, but I mean definitely 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 more interviews because um again we got we got so lucky with some of the performances and, and and all the access and and you guys were all just really dialed in. I can't think of one shitty interview that I did um everybody had their moments, you know, um but it's not always like that some some days you get somebody in a bad mood or somebody's just like. I'm tired because I'm on fucking tour right now and I can't think straight. Or like I got a hundred other things going on. I'm thinking about the show tonight. Or like somebody's texting me to get in on the guest list or whatever. But like, so so you know, like there's there's times when you can just do an interview and it sucks, and you got to just kind of like wait for the next one. Wait for that moment where somebody's just ready to open up and give it give give you give you everything. Um, so yeah, I could have used like five interviews from the dudes each. That would have been awesome. Okay, check one two uh oh shit hold on oh fuck i hope that's saved yo <laughs> yo Don't. no it's good it's good it's good i got it, okay. I, got it, I, got it I got it i got it fuck all okay right.
0: and and so far you're not cracking out either so okay cool 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 um all right so, so uh, aside from just shooting more footage being around earlier, just kind of being on your toes for, for capturing more footage. And it, I, I find it funny that you say that's what you would have done when that seemed to be your bane of existence making this film. Cause you had so much stuff to go through, but yeah. but s- since this was your first feature length film, um, what do you think you really, it's, it's, it's hard for me to put into words. What did you learn? Cause I mean, you were doing so many different um, Positions like you had so many roles in making this film. You essentially did everything yourself. So I, I'm guessing you probably learned quite a bit. But um, maybe just summarize what you really learned about filmmaking from your first feature film.
1: Um, I mean, from an editing standpoint, I like sort of invented new systems that I'm sure veteran editors—it's all a joke to them—but like a bunch of ways to help me get through the footage um at all different stages of the game um stuff that I was really proud of like I would have breakthroughs where I was just like oh fuck I'm just gonna organize this like this and now I can see it all and now holy fuck like or or like I remember I got a new monitor one day and that was like a game changer and I was like editing twice as efficiently um but I mean besides the nuts and bolts of that uh, I don't know man like (laughs) it would have been sick to have a budget basically because then I could have just hired an editor from the jump and been, like, a story supervisor. And this thing would have gotten done, like, two years ago. And it probably would have been way fucking better. I mean, like, everybody keeps saying, like, yo, you did a great job editing, you did a great job editing. And I keep saying, like, I wish I had an editor, I wish I had an editor. And the reason is that, like, if I had an editor, they it would have just been so much more efficient. This shit would have been done in, like, six months, you know? Um, and I probably could have made the story tighter because I would have been able to step back and just be, like, yo, no, like, and look at it with fresh eyes instead of, like, these, like, bleeding zombie eyes that I felt like I was bringing to the table every day when I was in the thick of it, you know?
0: Um, Yeah, the the one thing I've wondered, though, is if an editor really would have um, done the story the justice you did, because, I mean, you were there for the whole thing, like, and you're so closely tied to the story being that these are some of your best friends, like, you lived with most of them for, you know, parts of your life, went to school with one of them, like, you know these guys. So, I mean, I, I feel like an editor might not have had the same, um, you know, care with the story, maybe wouldn't have put as much into it as you did.
1: Uh, you'd be surprised, man. The, the, the people... The, the 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 guys I learned from in Milwaukee, uh, one of whom is editing my next film right now. Uh, dude, I just had a meeting with this dude on the phone the other day. He blew my fucking mind with something that he observed in the footage that we had that I never put together. I, and, like, he told me something about my film that I was there for that I didn't know, you know? Like, um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, maybe being so close to it can be... Uh, a hindrance at times because, uh, and I mean, that's what they, they always say, like, cause you're, I'm thinking of the moment and I'm not looking at the footage, you know? Um, but I don't know. At the end of the day, like who even knows? Um, fuck. I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Um, yeah. Who knows? I mean, you might be, you might be right. I don't even know.
0: Well, I'll I'll just jump in and say at the end of the day, I, couldn't be happier with the final product of the film. I I don't know what could have been done any differently to make it better, honestly. In my opinion, I, I think the way it was cut together, and that was kind of a big thing you and I went back and forth on quite a bit, was just trying to get the pacing of it right and not being fully sure if we had the beats right on it. But at the end of the day, watching it back, especially in that theater setting with so many other people, I, I think the flow of it's absolutely perfect, and I don't know what else someone could have brought to it to make it any better, in my own opinion. You're, you're obviously the technical guy. You're the filmmaker. But um, from, from my standpoint, from a close friend of these guys, and as a lover of film myself, I think it's perfect. And, you know, we've talked about this too, where my day job involves watching a lot of film and a lot of it being documentary. And again, it's weird for me to say because I'm so closely tied to this thing, but this thing is fucking leaps and bounds. Over so many other documentaries, and I deal with a lot of documentaries on a day to day basis so I don't know yeah i i'm I'm tied to it, but i I still think it's uh it stands above quite a few other docs out there
1: well thanks Ben that means a lot <clears throat> um, yeah I'm proud of it i I think it's so cool that you got to watch it again for the first time in a movie theater um I think the last time I watched it all the way through was like in March, maybe when I was doing like the final sound mix shit. And I'm looking forward to watching it again in like a year or two. Cause I think I'll, I'll probably have a good time with it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I kind of prepared myself in that way where I knew that, that the screening was potentially coming up. So I hadn't really revisited it in, in quite a while to the point where there was actually a few, um, not full on scenes, but a, a few you know frames here and there you had added that i hadn't hadn't seen before that I was seeing for the first time in the theater um and just little things like that, so for me, it was more of a fresh experience watching it with those other people and that's kind of how I wanted it to be just to to get a real a real look at it you know not not the look where it's you and me are going back and forth every other day looking at the same things over and over again like to to see it on the big screen with fresh eyes was just hard to put into words, the experience.
1: Dude, I can remember, when, like, I can remember a day when I sent you a cut and you were just like, dude, I don't even know what I'm looking at anymore. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, me neither, bro, Can help me. And, and that is, um,
0: you know, part of this whole process that I think I'll forever be grateful for, just like, like my memories of, you know, compromise and misery signals and all that stuff um, back in the day, this is just another layer to that story for me now. Just, you know, being able to look back on the fun we had going through this shit as, as much as you were, you know, pulling your hair out at times going through it. It was a a super fun experience from my standpoint. I obviously wasn't putting in the hours you were, but it was super fun to work on it with you.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'll always look back at editing this thing fondly. It was, it was cool. You know, like, um, I had enough money saved up where I could afford to just work on it for a while, and um yeah i I had a good time, you know, um, one last thing that i'll I'll leave you with, and I mentioned this in the interview I did with that dude from the newspaper in Edmonton. I don't know if it made the article or not, um by the way, he had some interesting paraphrasing going on. <laughs> <laughs> they always do, I know, I know, but like directly quote quoting me with like these fucking whack sentences that I would never say, like come on bro, um <laughs> No, I appreciate that kid. He was really cool. Um, The coolest part about making this movie was getting archival footage from people. It was like an archaeology experiment or whatever, an an archaeology outing or something. Like, Like, I was finding, like, treasure, you know? And, like, I mean that in the sense that, like, I knew what some of this footage would mean for my film, but also, like, I was just, like, learning about this tour, you know? Like, for so long, I thought this movie was going to be a bunch of people talking about that night. And then we got pictures, and I was like, holy fuck. I'm going to sh- I'm gonna be able to show pictures of that night. They have a picture of the last meal that they had before they left for that drive, you know? And then all of a sudden, I have six hours of video of that tour, and I was just like, this is fucking gold. And, like... Just finding these moments and sort of getting acquainted with um, life for for everybody before, like I, I met any of them or before that tragedy, you know. And and, and I'm watching video every day of um, uh, some friends that I never got the opportunity to meet. And it was it was a really it was a really special time in in the the production of this film. And, and it was a time that I wish I could have shared more with people because that's that's a really short section of the film. I think it's probably the most impactful part of the film, but um there was just a lot of really great footage of those those guys like on tour. And and, and man, like some of the shit was so much so similar. You know, I I had just been in Seven Angels a couple months before that tour took place and they'd be listening to like the same CDs that we were listening to. The van was so much similar to our van and their setup was so much similar. And it was just like, it was a really cool thing to get to experience. And and I wish, I wish I could like share that stuff with everybody who who knew them and who was close to them. Um, Maybe I could, I don't know. Maybe I could find a way to like put that video on Dropbox if anybody wanted to watch it or what, but yeah, that was just, that was an awesome, awesome time.
0: And, and part, I think, of what, what is so crazy about all the stuff we unearthed during that, that um, call for all that stuff was the fact that this stuff did exist. Because when you think about it back then, none of us had cell phones. The, the fact that a few of us even had camcorders and thought to have them rolling is pretty crazy in itself. Like, they weren't really cheap back then. I, th- I think I remember getting mine saving up, like, Christmas money and shit. And it was probably a grand and it wasn't that great of a camcorder either.
1: No, totally. So,
0: so the fact that we even had that stuff back then, like, it, I don't know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a religious person by any means, but there's times where I feel like everything in life is kind of uh, planned out and happening for a reason. And the fact that everything has unfolded in this last 15 years the way it has just seems, I don't know, seems almost like pre-planned in some weird way. Like certain aspects have, uh, you know, unfolded almost too perfectly or something.
1: Yeah.
0: As, as weird as that sounds, I mean, to to touch on a similar note to what Stu said, like obviously um, obviously, you're not thankful when something like this happens, but it makes you question like why things happen and why things ended up the way they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you briefly also mentioned there someone editing another film you're working on. So I know that's um, a question I've been getting is, you know, like, what is the future hold for you in filmmaking? Um, so uh, curious for you, like, well, what do you have uh, in, in the cards now? What's coming up for you filmmaking wise?
1: Well, I have a, I have a documentary that I produced and directed with um, my, um, My partner, well, not my partner. She's not like my romantic partner. She's my producing partner. Um, Her name is Sasha Sicarella. She's a uh, a photographer and an artist from New York City. And we embarked on a project a couple of years ago that's been going on for the last couple of years about a high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I used to live, that is um, known for being uh, kind of an anti-bully school that has a, a large percentage of LGBTQ kids um and it's sort of about identity and about um kind of like a couple different glimpses into the lives of a bunch of really interesting people um and as i mentioned before that's being edited at the moment i'm actually going back to milwaukee to shoot a bit of additional footage for it in a couple of weeks as well um so yeah i'm hoping that is going to come out probably next year maybe around the same time that yesterday was everything comes out um and yeah, we want to do big things with that. We're hoping it can get into some festivals and um, get some widespread notoriety. It's it's really fucking good. I'm really proud of it.
0: And, and is that a feature length as well?
1: Yeah, I think so. That's still kind of to be TBD at the moment. Um, there's a lot of talk about different versions that it could sort of take. Um, it's a gang of footage. But it could be a monster short or it could be a feature length. I'm not really sure. Or it could be like a series, too. It might end up being like a, like a, like a serialized thing. I'm not even really sure. But, um, yeah, um, keep an eye out for that. Um, otherwise, I'm just working on scripts. Um, I'm going to try and produce uh, and direct some scripted content this year and um, get into that world. I just finished the first draft of my first script yesterday. It's called Black Licorice. It's fucking kind of tight. Uh, and I'm excited to uh, start sharing that side of my uh, filmmaking with the world.
0: Can, can you tell us at all what Black Licorice is about?
1: <laughs> no, I don't want to say just yet because I think the idea is sick. And uh, it's, it's kind of like taking different forms at the moment. Uh, I can tell you off air, though. Have I told you? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you later. All
0: right, yeah, I know mad people are listening to this after watching the film, just trying to get any secrets they can from you to, you know, steal those those industry secrets and make a, a real banger like yesterday was everything.
1: Dude, we're definitely on like hour two of podcast after like a ninety minute film. I, there's like <laughs> like two people listening still. <laughs> so we can say whatever we want. Fine, I'll fucking say it. I don't give a shit. It's a uh, it's no, about- no. Don't don't hold it okay. in. Hold it in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't give a fuck all right
1: um all right buddy thanks for staying up late man it's uh past midnight where you are at
0: yeah i don't even know
1: yeah
0: all right well i know you're probably uh, trying to get to a tinder date or something so uh yeah y'all know what it is we, uh, we can we can wrap this up uh, good luck with the screenwriting class tomorrow thanks man looking um, uh, forward to hearing all about it
1: yeah i can't wait to tell you all about it Um, and yeah, man, enjoy Friday. I hope you get some, uh, people hitting you up and some, some good feedback. It's going to be an exciting day.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thanks uh, again for including me in the project.
1: My pleasure, my man. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.